This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Ferminger. My mission is to pull back the curtain on Vancouver's film and television industry and expose its beating heart, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom style, by getting deep and down and a little dirty with the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. Today, we welcome Michelle Neal to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Now, there's a lot of talk in the zeitgeist about mental health, a lot of it coming from reviews, both celebratory and otherwise, of Joker. That particular feature film presents the origin story for one of comic book culture's greatest villains, and in it we see the impact that Arthur Fleck's mental illness has on his future as one of Gotham City's greatest villains. But perhaps what is most remarkable about a film like Joker is how much of an outlier it is in mainstream cinema. There haven't been a lot of films that delve into mental illness, at least not ones that treat the very real health issue with nuance and sensitivity. Mental illness is usually a plot point. He's fucked up and hurts people. She's batshit crazy. Even the language around mental health is damaging and ableist. The last few years, an increasing number of organizations and individuals have been working to destigmatize mental illness because the stigma, it's been costing us our loved ones. Which is why I'm really excited to have Michelle Neal, also known as Mish, and I'll probably be calling her that as we move forward, uh, with me in the studio today. Mish is a writer, director, producer, actor, novelist, story editor, stop me if I get them all, uh, cat owner. Um, and her creative work to date looks at mental health from a variety of angles, most notably in therapy, about a woman who literally battles her mental illness in hand-to-hand combat, and mental, which has been a hit on the film festival circuit and earned her and collaborator Jack Smith a Women in Film Spotlight Image Award and Sweet Release, a short work about the intersection of love and grief and acceptance that quite literally took my my breath away. Quite literally, I was gasping. So today I want to talk about how mental health is presented in film. And I want us all to get to know Mish Neal, whose work excites and astounds me. We'll also probably talk about cats because Mish, like myself, is a cat lover. And actually cats are very key to my own mental health. Same. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, So Michelle, Mish Neal, Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Wow, thank you. I feel so welcomed. That was That's amazing. Good. <laughs> That's good. I always love, I mean, so we've done, how many of these have we done? I've done like 40 of these maybe <laughs> so far. And every time the person, I, I do the intro and they're like, whoa, or there's some kind, I mean, even one time like Vincent, Vincent Tong was like, okay, I'm done now. Thanks. That's yeah. all that needed to be said. Yeah. But there is so much more to to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just dive in. Sure. And uh, let's talk about how mental illness has been portrayed in popular culture. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you think Hollywood has done in its portrayal of mental health? 
Uh, well, I think the thing that I thought I could bring to cinema was a different view of it and a yeah. more internalized view. And so that's what I've been aiming for. I think that's the part that they've missed. One of the things I love about mental, one of the moments I love, because mental has brought a lot of accolades and and attention. Uh, one of the first times we screened at a festival, one of my friends came and this movie is not about her, um, but she maybe inspired some moments or whatever. And she's had her own battle throughout the years in and out of institutions and everything. Mm. And I remember sitting there and it ended and she was crying and she just said, you did it. You got it. And what we got was the feel. And there's a reason why we don't name the drugs or name the what the person is going through. Because yeah. really what we're just trying to convey is that feeling of trying everything and constantly getting beaten down. And, yeah. I, and So that was actually one of the most uh, magical moments for me from that film. That was where I felt like we we did it. Yeah, I, I just, I wonder, because that is actually very similar to the experience that I had watching Mental. Like, I felt seen um, in a way, you know, that, you know, I hadn't, I'm not always when I, when I watch, and I'm a, I'm a consumer of, <laughs> of, of film and television. Uh, but, you know, when you see mental illness portrayed, it is a plot point. It is, oh, she's quote unquote crazy, you know, or, or you know, I, I grew up watching a lot of daytime. Like mm -hmm. it was like, oh, uh, she has multiple personalities or or, you know, she's like it's 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 so it none of it. You know, once I turned, it must have been like, you know, 20. 24 and I started experiencing depression mm -hmm. and experiencing panic attacks and and it became part of my life that that for the longest time was not something that I ever saw on screen but mm -hmm. I saw it in mental and I'm just I'm just wondering why like is it because like mental illness isn't like sexy or is it like it's it's hard to to it's been hard for to communicate a feeling like the the actual feeling of what it means to be depressed to to be you know to live in that state of despair or to have it part of your life like every single day like I have like the low grade every single day and I take medication for that and you know like I wonder I just I wonder like what what is it why is it yeah I can't speak to why other people don't want to explore this uh, but the reason why I think it's difficult is because it is an internal thing yeah so you mentioned uh, one of my first short films therapy that also did quite well in the festival circuit and uh, that was the first one where I got some attention um, but mostly the thing that I love is the connection and you talked about feeling connected and feeling seen that's yeah. actually why I why I make what I make yeah I want people to feel to sit there and feel heard and understood and and that they're not alone because I think the worst part of mental health is when you feel all alone yeah and that is it, probably in the worst moments your brain tricks you and says it's just you you're all alone no one will ever understand you no one will ever love you you're not worthy all those things right yeah. all of those things and those are very internal and so with therapy uh I really just wanted to externalize that thing that beats us up that internal oh. voice right yeah there is um there's a ball gag in the film so I'm gonna put a link 
to therapy uh, in the footnotes for this episode because it's on the NSI uh, webpage. But like just the the short synopsis and then maybe you can add on to it, but I'll tell you how I saw it. So this woman, like she finds out about a really unique therapy and it's really, it's just billed as like, oh, it, this is very unique, but you know, she doesn't know what it is. And then she goes and she signs a release and then she's literally like in this room and like and she's you know she's like clearly she's sad she's disheveled she doesn't have a good like you know grasps on her on her life like you can just see that you know she literally stands in front of a reflective surface and says that you know you're so ugly like says that to herself and then so she goes and she sits in this room and then this like very sleek uh looking woman walks in and it's literally her you know (laughs) and it's and then and and the the new woman who's arrived, which I took to me, that's her, that's her mental illness comes and just starts like just saying all the stuff that she's saying to herself. But it is, it's fucked up. I I, I love it. <laughs> I love it because then there's like there's some hand to hand combat. There's a ball gag. There's blood. There's like because I mean often we talk about mental illness as if it, I mean I used it in the in how I talked about it in the intro as a battle as it's a fight. You know, and I, I don't know if that is the best language to to use about it. Like, as, I mean, we're constantly, you know, revisiting and thinking about the language that we use. But often, like, I feel it, like I am I am at war, you know, and I win some battles and then some sometimes I have to give up. But so to see that um, play out on screen was, as for me, very satisfying. So can you talk to me a little bit about the the. Um, the inspiration for that and also the um the maybe some of the like i can imagine like you're there with with a laser pointer pointing at parts of your body and saying mean things to yourself mm-hmm. like what would that what was that like uh, <laughs> well therapy came out of um sometimes i go through bouts of insomnia uh and that's usually the the waking up 2 a.m. mid panic attack is usually when those thoughts are the worst yeah and I wrote that after a really long bout of insomnia, and I just felt like I just got to get this out. And so most of my projects, over time, I, I write them and then I put them away and I massage them. But that one, it just wrote itself. I think it took two hours. Yeah. And then I brought it to Lisa Newell, who's the director, who has the sensibilities that I was going for in that piece, and I knew that she would take care of it. Yeah. And uh, she brought to it a, a bunch of things, including... I think the ball gag was her idea. Um, the nurse wearing a very sexualized outfit. I did notice that. Yeah, yeah to kind of um, portray basically how the media wants us to be. Yeah. Um, and I've lost your question. Your question was, <laughs> what was the inspiration? What or? was my question? Oh, I remember. You were asking. The, the, the experience yeah. of saying these horrible things to yourself, which yeah. are the things that, like, I know that I've thought some of those same things, yeah. you know, but they're in my head. It's not like me vocalizing it in well, some way. It was, okay, so I played both parts, yeah. which uh, I... I wanted to use it as a vehicle for my for my acting to show off that I can do more things than I'm going out for because I'm going out for girl number three who just says, here's your latte. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So I was like, I can do more. But what ended up happening was even simply writing it and then acting it out. And then seeing it on screen was in itself a therapeutic process for me. I felt like I purged a lot of demons through doing that. And then that's 
partly why I started writing more and more because I was like, no, wait, it's actually that act that that really, really helps me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you considered um, or has it crossed your mind at all that thought that I'm sharing too much about myself? I'm I'm becoming associated as this actress, you know, and writer, director, filmmaker who's all about mental illness. Like, is that is that one of the things that the negative Misha in your head says to you? And talk me through that a bit. Yeah, I think there is an aspect of uh, we were talking a bit before where I I tend to sometimes overshare. It's just I'm just a very open person. I'm just very much like here I am. I mean, one of my students from this past week called me a weird magical unicorn or something like that. And oh my I was god, like, that's got to be your Twitter bio. <laughs> weird magical unicorn. Yeah, not just like a an, a totally normal. No. magical unicorn no. you're the weird one yeah 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 and <laughs> I yeah. love it yeah I think and as I've gotten older I've really embraced my weirdness when I was younger I, I thought it was a negative and now I see it as such a positive especially because people have started coming to me for my uh, different view on the world and expression and there is a part of me that does worry about becoming very niche, but mm. at the same time... Niche, niche. Yeah. So actually someone suggested that that should be my production company name. Yes. <laughs> niche, niche productions. Yes, yeah, I love it. I yeah. love it. So uh, We here at the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, uh, <laughs> I say that with the force of all the listenership behind me, we love that. So Aww. please do that. Yeah. So <laughs> niche, niche would basically be surreal uh, internal struggle, I guess, is yeah. really... Um, Simon Barry gave me some advice once where he was like don't shy away from being pigeonholed especially at first in your career and mm. actually I've heard that from more more than him but in in various different ways so that's uh yeah that's good advice coming yeah. from a. Uh, actually if you think about Simon's career and he has sat in that seat as well but <laughs> you know he really he he started as the as oh I'm just the mm-hmm. the sci-fi guy mm-hmm. and he's just and he's just gone into so many different genres mm-hmm. right because we contain multitudes don't we? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yes. So I want to talk a little bit more about mental mm-hmm. because that was the one that kind of, I won't say it blew up, but blew up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and that was, uh, uh, you collaborated on on that one with, with Jax mm-hmm. Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, tell me about the inspiration for that and also about why Jax was the partner, mm-hmm. you know, that was the perfect partner for that specific project. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mental was born out of watching a loved one of mine experience uh, psychotic episodes. And it no longer is about that person, but that's where it was born from. Because from my perspective, I would get phone calls that were scary for her and scary for me. Mm. And I wouldn't know how to help her through. Um, and so I really just wanted to embody that struggle that was going on. And when when there's psychosis going on, you don't know what's real and you don't know what's not. Yeah. And then I might. So as scary it is for you as yeah. a person getting the call, yeah. it's infinitely more terrifying for the person who is living, who is living that life, living that moment. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then so I turned that into a 10 minute one, one woman stage play. Um, and then years later, uh, I rewrote it as a short film after I fell. I, I fainted on the bus. I got a concussion. I thought my brain would never recover. I remember looping. The bus driver pulled over. I told them, don't call the ambulance. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Mm. Actually, my first thought was, so this woman says you fainted and hit your head. And my first thought was, no. <laughs> nope, that doesn't happen to me. <laughs> that is not a part of my narrative. Like, yeah. It's just like, nope. 
Um, and I remember sitting on the bus and trying to go two plus two is, and then my brain would hiccup. And then I would realize that I couldn't finish what two plus two equals. And so that fear of not knowing what was happening. Uh, and then I experienced my first panic attack when I was alone on the ferry because I'd been going to the ferry on the bus. And uh, I remember just like panic, having a panic attack. I didn't know what it was. I thought I was dying. So I went straight That's to what the doctor. They feel like they do. They really, they, they feel, I mean, and I think that a show like Homeland actually showed those mm. moments really well, mm. you know, where you feel like you're having a, like a heart attack or that something is wrong. It's not just like, oh, I'm, I'm panicking about something I have anxiety it's like it's a, it's different it's a biological response to yeah well it could be stimuli it could be it could be nothing yeah well that's so you had that happening. on the oh my god yeah so I had my first one on the ferry and alone in the ferry bathroom and I was just like am I gonna die in a ferry bathroom like is that and it was it was triggered by I mean the reason I fainted was I found out later from the doctor was due to stress and exhaustion. I'd been pushing myself so, so hard. And I didn't know that that was a real thing. I thought that they just said that about superstars when something else was happening. But oh, yeah, they have an intense. uh, Yeah, they they have to go to um, uh, some kind of facility for exhaustion. And it's like, oh, no, she totally has like a a nose candy problem or something. Right. But it it does. It's real. Yeah. Yeah. And then. so from there, I started being afraid of, I started getting more panic attacks, and then I became afraid of having a panic attacks, which would trigger my panic attacks. So then it was just this spiral for a while. Yeah. Um, and I've now since, through therapy and a bunch of other things, figured out, you know, how to handle them and all this. But uh, for a while, it was really, really bad. So I inserted that when I re- when I went back to mental, I was now able to more, when I was writing, embody the fear that I yeah. think that my loved one was going through when she was having the psychosis. Yeah. So underneath all of the all of the set deck and all of the And it was everything. beautiful. There's like an Alice yeah. in Wonderland element. There was yes. some you guys shot in the snow, I think it. Yes. And like you're strapped like I, that's not online yet, right? That's still doing the it, No, it's online. It is yeah. online. Okay, so I, I will put a to link you. to that yeah. in the footnotes for this as well, but yeah, yeah it, there is a there is like a magical kind of realism to it as well, yeah. but I think that that must be the only way in some ways that you can communicate that yes. experience, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and yeah, Jax was, uh, Jax and I were working together. We were collaborating on a lot of things. And I think we saw that there was a Bravo Fact deadline. And we uh, basically, when we're, when we're looking at what we're going to write, we often look at deadlines and then work backwards from them yeah. so that we have something to aim for. So I remember I pulled mental out of my drawer dusted it off offered it you have a drawer of ideas you <laughs> open actually... it and like butterflies fly out and rainbows and cats <laughs> yes always cats yeah um well, i'd assume yeah. everything in my life is covered with cat oh hair. my gosh yeah i know they go with me everywhere because yeah. they're I, I feel i have the rollers but nope yeah yeah do you um, have a lot of ideas in your drawer i don't yes. know i'm pointing down as if yes. the drawer is here but a lot of ideas in your drawer that are dealing with these these similar kinds of yeah, I'm I'm expanding away from mental health um, in the last while. So, uh, as you mentioned, sweet release, sweet release is a bridge with mental health yeah. and also death with dignity. So I'm I'm kind of merging, kind of both of those things. Yeah, uh, but it, it's actually not a drawer; it's a folder on my on my computer, and it's just like concepts, you know. And sometimes I'll just throw. You've just a line of dialogue you've disappointed or, me. I'm sorry. I look. Do I look sad? Yes. You There's no really drawer. Do. I 
Well, there's a mental drawer. Does that help? Or it kind of does. <laughs> it was like a film noir, like in in the um the the film that that you did for the forty eight hours. Oh, ladies, uh, don't wear yeah. socks. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this awesome like film noir. Oh, yeah, um, I I uh, I love that. Um, yeah. I, I I'm you know you've you've talked about the loved ones yeah uh, in, in your life you know who've who've gone through this and then you've also have talked about yourself as somebody who has you know who lives with this and it's part of your you've made room for it in your life and it's just part of your experience being who you are I'm I'm really curious if if you and I will just I, I will add we were we'll go, I am going to include links to various resources including call time mental health in the footnotes for this. Uh, for this episode because if, if you're listening to this episode and, and you're recognizing yourself in some of the stories, please know that there is always help available and there's different kinds of help. And the first thing that you have to do though is to be able to, you know, to, to stretch out your hand and, and to accept it. Uh, but, you know, as somebody who's, who's gone through it and also been on the outside of it, what kind of advice do you have for people, you know, who, whose loved one, you know, is is in some kind of of hell you know it, yeah. going going through a mental health crisis or or is just is is has received some help and it's making they've made it part of their mm-hmm. of their lives but how, like what are some ways that you can support them do you think to support someone else going through it yeah uh, well number one i want to say that if you're a caretaker the first step is to take care of yourself so i used to volunteer at the need crisis line and there are there are I think a lot of people would call when they were in crisis, but we were there for people who also were calling because someone they loved was in crisis or because they're feeling burnt out because they're dealing with so many things in their life. It's not, it's not just because sometimes when you're in the middle of a crisis, the last thing you want to do is reach out to someone. So I would say reach out, you know, when you're on the way. And if you can, if you can notice earlier and earlier and, and stop and get help while you're still while you still have the ability to get help yeah and I do call it an ability because I think that we're in the when we're in the middle of crisis it like we just dissolve down to we don't want to yeah it's so like when I I mean we're nearing the one year anniversary of my experience of having you know suicidal ideation and I like in the midst of it the last thing I wanted to do was ask for help you know even though like before you know I was all like oh no if you feel you can always call me or I'll like because you're not thinking let's say not thinking clearly it's just that some other voices can be very can be a lot louder yeah you know and then there's the shame and then the stigma and um how long were you a volunteer for the crisis line uh I, I'm really bad with timelines, but okay. I want to say about two years. And there were a bunch of people who were there because it was um, they were going to university and it was part of their volunteer hours. And yeah. I remember one of the volunteers could not understand why I was there if I didn't have to be. And I was like, I just want to help people. Like, yeah. I just I just want to be here to help people. And she was like, I don't. Why? You know, and I was like, uh, but I learned a bunch of skills and I also learned, oh, you asked, how can people who are supporting someone going through a crisis, how can they? And sometimes, honestly, it's letting go of trying to make that person anything other than they're not. Sometimes the most brilliant thing you can do is just be there with them wherever they are. And that's what I learned from doing the need need a crisis line was that and they they really when part of the training is to learn that sometimes someone's going to call and they're going to be really upset and they're going to end the call and they're going to be really upset 
and your job is to just be there with them and hold the space. God, that's so hard, eh? It, it is can be so, so hard. hard. Yeah, especially it is like so if it's hard. your, if it is your loved one, if it is somebody that like yeah. is, you just want to shake and be like, you're yeah. loved and I'm here for you, but yeah. you can't. Yeah, you well, we, we can't, can't just go in and make people feel how right. you want them to feel. Right. And we can't do it for them. Yeah. And in fact, it, it takes their power away if we try to do it for them. Yeah. You know, like if we try to give them everything and all this, then then they have no authority or they don't feel they have authority over their life. So, yeah. Yeah. Let's do a little bit of time travel. OK. I want to like I, I want to <laughs> know. I know we're just jumping around. Um, like what kind of a like how did this how did you happen like what kind of a a kid were you and like what did you want to be when you grew up uh i always always told stories yeah. that was um the, actually if we go to before me i have uh we've never time traveled to before the per- wow this is this is the <laughs> first time how far back are we going before you well we're going to my grandfather his name is john patrick galise okay and he is a well-known writer in alberta so okay. he's famous for alberta and then so he wrote uh fiction he wrote this a short, I think it was a short story called Kirby's Gander, and then it led to the first feature-length film that was made in Canada. And like, this is my understanding of him and his Wikipedia page. Yeah, um, so the first feature film that was made in Canada. Well, yeah, according to his Wikipedia page. That's, but, yeah, but that's in your blood memory as well, yeah, right? Yeah, and then my mom became more of a journalist, so she was more of um, she was still a writer, but she was more of just uh, factual. Yeah, and then I was always a writer. And I was always writing things and I would watch TV and I would write episodes that weren't being made, but I would just I would I would jump off from the TV show and I would write episodes about that TV show. And I now know that that's a spec script. Yeah. So the first time I was asked to write a spec script, I found it very easy. Yeah, because I've done it. Okay, I'm going to need some specifics here for your spec script. Like what were the TV shows that you were you were (laughs) writing about? Okay. Uh, so number one is Star Trek The Next Generation. I wrote so many episodes for that that uh, that have uh, they just I don't know where they are, but I wrote so many episodes. Do you see my jaw just dropped? Yeah. 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 But okay, so what were the characters like? Who who were you? Mo- like, were you a Deanna yeah. Troy person because she was all about emotions and reading other people and stuff? Or yeah. like, t- tell me who you who are the characters you were writing for? Well, mostly okay. So Picard, yeah, was I just idolized that dude, and then. I went to a convention and I talked to Patrick Stewart wow. uh, in front of thousands of people. But yeah. And then he told me he hopes I have a very long and illustrious career, at which point I was like, I will now. Thank you, sir. <laughs> wow. But, yes, Captain. <laughs> yes. I will. Absolutely. And FYI, there are four lights. Yes. there. Kay. Yes. I agree with him. Yeah. That, see, that, that episode, right? Yeah. That stuck with me. Like, that had a... So... Growing up, my mom was a single mom until I was 10 years old. And so, actually, I I think the reason why I use uh, TV and film to connect with people is I felt connected when I felt reflected in what I was watching. Because I, I got to watch a lot of TV because my mom was working sometimes two jobs yeah. and, you know, doing uh, doing all the work to keep us fed. Um, and Oh, shout out to your mom. I know. That's why. Okay, so that's why in my speech I... I really wanted to thank her yeah. because, uh, and I also think that she modeled for me uh, that it that hard work is not a bad thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because I think sometimes people are like, "How do you produce so much?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I I 
put in the hours. Yeah. Because that's the stuff people don't see is I'm at home with my two cats alone or I'm on set surrounded by I'm I'm extreme. Either I'm alone with my cats or I'm on set surrounded by hundreds of people. Yeah. But it's the hours that get put in that people don't see that really um, lead to the things that they do see. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And I, I mostly wrote for, honestly, I mostly wrote for Wesley because I had a crush on him. So <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, my face was like, <laughs> I shouldn't talk. I, I, my crush was, um, was Riker and I had oh, a six foot tall cardboard yes. cutout Riker in my, in my bedroom. I was all about Imzadi. Oh, you know, yes. that was Troy and Riker yes. and uh, kind of hated Worf <laughs> for like being a spoiler in that. That was ridiculous. But um, OK, so before you go, yes. I'm going to show you this little book that my mom <gasps> got me for part of my. Uh, she made me this advent calendar of gifts leading up to my, everybody's like, what the hell? Listen, go on Amazon and you can look and see this book that my mom got me, which is Star Trek The Next Generation Cats. No. And it's all these like drawings of um, of cats as the characters in like it really in t- in like some of the iconic scenes like Worf saying you know sir I protest I'm not a merry man but he says he's not a merry cat and um, also there are four lights in there as well oh so. my gosh so good yeah 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 did you dress up for the convention okay I thought I was dressed up um, my friend's mom made us a uh, little Star Trek uniform tops and then oh, we yeah. just wore black bottoms and we walked around and I bought us um, the uh, communicator the, yeah, the communicator badges. Yeah, the communicator badges. And we walked in, and we were the most underdressed, <laughs> under-costumed there. It was like Klingons walk oh, by, man. and you're like, oh, dude. It was the, it was the 25th, uh, TNG 25th anniversary from the first episode, so we drove to Calgary to That's go to the convention. That's pretty recent. Yeah. That, wait, was that the one where they had everybody, like they had the reunion for almost the whole cast? Yes. It was amazing. Okay, sorry, I was picturing that you were like 13 years old or something. No, no. this is, no. <laughs> That's amazing. I know, and and I was like, oh, I should have been going to conventions my whole life. What is wrong with me? And I haven't gone back to one since, which is silly, but I just haven't had time. But yeah, it was, it conventions was so are great. much fun. Yeah. Yeah, and I just felt like it was such a space where everyone got to just express themselves and, and you were accepted however you wanted to express yourself and how wonderful. Yeah. Where do we go from there? I don't know. Let's go death, uh, dying with dignity. Okay. <laughs> um, because, uh, so your film, uh, sweet release, yeah. uh, incredible actors in that. And, and as as you said, that is a, was a concept uh, for a, a feature length film that you are you are also working on. But it also, I got to say, like it stands up as a as a short film as well, which is always good when you know the proof of concept does that. Uh, but you know, talk to me about your interest in um, in dying with dignity and uh, what people. Well, people might not understand about this. Uh, I mean, because we don't really talk about death a lot in yeah. our in our culture, you know, at all. And that there even is there is a way to to die with dignity, mm-hmm. you know. So so and go. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't want to give too many details because I want to leave the privacy to the people. But someone I know had a DNR, and um, the fam her family is deciding not to. Uh, pull the plug, even yeah. though, and not uh, to respect. So a DNR right. is a do not resuscitate. Yes, that so you're so this person that you know had explicitly stated yes. before they were unable to explicitly state that they did not wish to be resuscitated, and family not respecting. Yes, that that wish. Wow, that's yes. tough. I just, I guess for me, I I truly think it's really important to allow people to make their own decisions, 
uh, and to respect their wishes. Yeah. And um, uh, I had an aunt who chose to die at home, and that was respected, and it was actually quite beautiful for her. Mm. Uh, and so I guess I'm just trying to, again, put people in the position of how it would f- maybe feel to uh, hold on to a loved one against their wishes and then finally allow them what they what they ask for and 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 how actually um it death can be beautiful and death and life are are quite similar and and also i believe that if there was no death for us that we would not actually feel the sweetness of life we would yeah you know we would just kind of maybe become mundane or something but yeah mm-hmm. um i uh and I, am I allowed to say that that is actually what happens in in the short? Is that people stop dying? People stop dying, yeah. Because basically, I was uh, what I was thinking is if we blow this up, and if no one in the world can die, and you're you're forcing everybody to re-experience the pain that leads up to death, because the because the loop I don't really explain it, but the loop becomes shorter and shorter. Yeah. The closer to death they become until they're finally just caught in that final stage of death over and over and over again which is brutal. Yeah. And you're just watching your loved one um, be in pain over and over. Because I, th- I think, uh, I'm not sure how to say this. I, th- I think sometimes we can forget how not respecting someone's wishes is, is really one of the worst purgatories to put them in, especially yeah. at that point. But this is definitely just my stance, and I know that other people feel differently. Uh, but I do think it's important to have an opinion when you when you create art yeah and then people can have their own opinions and they can watch it and they can disagree with me in fact i'm does that has that happened a lot well sweet release just started its festival circuit yeah it's been getting into so many festivals it's so great uh i haven't been able to make it to one yet because i've been busy uh so far let's see I think someone had a bit of an issue with mental, uh, how mental, I can't remember what they said. It wasn't, it wasn't, they wished that we had named what she had in mental. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I find that interesting because you made a point, like you have such a specific reason for not doing that, yeah. which I'm like, I'm assuming part of it was like, well, it could be so many different things. And then people can find an entry point yes. from their, from their own assumption. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We really wanted, yeah, we really wanted people to see themselves. And some, and so sometimes as soon as you name something, someone goes, well, I don't have that. So yeah. it doesn't relate to me. But it, as long as you leave it a bit ambiguous, um, it can allow for people to see themselves. Yeah. Anyway, this, yeah. Um, and then later he shared with me that uh, his daughter was going through a mental health crisis. And, and he just wanted to know if it was her story or not. And that's why he was upset. Oh. And I thought, oh, how beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually quite beautiful. Yeah. And I said, well, she's probably felt this way, whether or not the specifics relate. And then I, I saw him connect the dots and it was quite beautiful. But I, I don't, in general, I guess people probably don't walk up to me and they're like, I totally disagree with your point of view, probably, because, yeah. I mean... Haven't seen That's a lot awesome. of men in your work. I know. My husband pointed that out to me and I... Uh, in Sweet Release, uh, the uh, originally it was a nurse and, okay, so my husband loves the Edmonton Oilers and okay. there's, <laughs> there's a player called, his name is Darnell Nurse. So I named this character Darnell yeah. and I based him on Darnell Nurse just like 
when I was thinking about him as a caring. <laughs> I don't know I'm laughing. I mean, I guess I, I'm not like a sports person, but like Me that either. is a really deep cut yeah. for a very specific part of the audience. The Edmonton Oiler fans of short magical realism. Yes. Right? Yeah. Well, (laughs) literally your husband. Yes. Pretty much. It was like an inside (laughs) joke for us. Uh, So originally it was written for a man. And uh, also I wanted to see a man being caring in that way. Yeah. And then we were uh, casting for the the lead character of Tracy and Char sent in her audition for Tracy. And uh, it was, it made me realize, oh my gosh, she has to be she has to play the role of the nurse. Yeah. And then one of the things I love working with people who say yes and and Odessa Bennett was our costume designer on Sweet Release and she's very good at the yes and. And so she uh, at one of our first pre-production meetings, she said, could she be a doctor instead of a nurse? And I went, yeah, in fact, that's better. So then she became Dr. Darlene in the script. So she went from Darn or Nurse Darnell yeah. to Doctor Darlene and and uh, yeah yeah so. that's that is that's fantastic yeah but other so you have not made a conscious because like I think in therapy there's the smarmy uh, dude who runs the company and then there are two mysterious dudes at the end yeah but then like otherwise like like so you haven't made a conscious decision not to. Well, not to include I think men because I, I mean no. I find your stuff very empowering like for for the for the for a female audience and yeah. it is definitely like the feminine gaze for sure yeah but it's not like a you're like not like making a point to be like not not dudes yeah no. like cool. I, uh, yeah uh, I guess in a way men are taken care of in the media in general a little bit yes (laughs) so there was probably a subconsciously a part of me that was like well what what do I have authority on and it is in general the the female experience um more so uh and but I I think just in general it's just ended up that way yeah Uh, there there is a lead character in my feature who's male who it looks like I might actually be cutting him out of the feature and I was like oh here I go again you know what I love about that though (laughs) that's literally how women have been like you know treated or disregarded or you know we can actually tell stories that that center on women and the female experience right yeah. so yeah <laughs> you're like eh. yeah you're throwing your hands up you're like it is what it is okay we've got to take a break okay great we got some sponsors that awesome. we got to show some love when we come back i want to talk about uh shaping story and finding your voice because i know that that is uh, uh you just got back from running a workshop on this very topic and then we're just going to talk for like five minutes about how much we love Gary Harvey. Yay! And, uh, <laughs> and I mean, I think that's one hell of a cliffhanger. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. We will be right back. This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver and Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. 
Fishflight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com. So you you just got back from Victoria. Uh, you were teaching a workshop th- through Cinevic, correct? Which actually seems like it was a really cool kind of series, right? Where it's like you can kind of go in and get all of this, all of the the tools you need to make your own film. But what it is exactly that you do, <laughs> and like yeah. what were some of the things that you talked about in this particular workshop? Yeah. So this uh, workshop came together through. Uh, Cinevic, it was about a year ago they wrote me and they were doing the grant application and they wanted me to run the first part of the workshop, which is the story aspect yeah. and the finding That makes voice. sense that it comes towards the beginning. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you don't want to do it like <laughs> yeah. after you have your cast. Yeah. And a lot of the a lot of the people that they have coming in as mentors are are big in the industry. I was I was really impressed with yeah. who they got. I was really Well they happy. got you as well. Oh well thank kind of you. a big deal. <laughs> I mean, Patrick I, Stewart saw it. <laughs> Sir Patrick saw it. He pretty much knighted me. Yeah, so. <laughs> pretty <Yeah>. much. <laughs> no, but so so what are yeah. what are the tools then that you were there yeah. to give the participants? Yeah, I definitely um, really love helping people find their voice, and I really believe that we all have stories to tell, yes. and that they're all unique. And not everyone is a writer, and that's okay too. Uh, and everybody could be a writer if they wanted to be, but sometimes people start writing and then they say, this is really hard. And yeah. Because I think there's a misconception that writing is easy for, for and I think it's easier for some than others, but yeah. um, like someone once asked me, how do, you always, how do you always get inspired to write? I said, I write when I'm not inspired. I, it's, it's my job, I write it, I, I write all the time, yeah. you know? And sometimes I can inspire myself through the writing, but uh, I write whether or not I want to. Yeah, I have a yeah. weekly column in a yeah. in a newspaper, and I have for years. And right. sometimes, like, because it's the work. Yeah, you just gotta. Yeah, exactly. Because like, the because the muse not always there. No, but my my goal with these with these participants was to inspire them to really really hone in on what they want to say, and then and then from there, why are they the right person to really connect with that? Yeah. Because then they can grow their stories from there. And a lot of them had um, already pretty fleshed out ideas. And what was so great is they were already bringing me so many diverse ideas already. So it was really just about helping them hone in on that. And then some people came with some people came with a, a couple different ideas and then it was honing in on, well, which one do you want to tell the most? Or if I like to ask this question, if you could only tell one of your stories, which one would it be? Mm. And often that just That's clarifies. so unfair. I know. <laughs> but you got to start know. somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. And and one guy through the through our workshop realized that he actually wanted to make a lesser movie first as practice so that he could get to the really intense one later. Yeah. And I thought that was super cool, you know? Um, so yeah, so I just go in, uh, we did one-on-one mentorships so that I could really hone in on each person. And then we did a long day workshop with everybody there and us all working through some of the more general aspects of screenwriting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there were some stats that came out recently about uh, how um, while our service side of the industry is on fire, the in, that that energy that the funds aren't getting into the indie part of the industry which really sucks right Mm -hmm. because like I mean I I love both equally and I think both like one should feed the other and they both should be equally strong what can you tell me about like the 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 indie scene here and and um the energy that exists there you know like and and kind of those challenges that that are faced in bringing these ideas to the screen well, it's it's interesting because in Van- okay, so when I was back in Victoria, it was super cool because I grew up in Victoria, and it was okay. really neat to go back and and be like, yes, I I wanted to work in film, and now I work in film. How like it was such a cool moment. Um, but what Victoria has is a very tight knit small community, and they all really want to work on each other's uh, projects all the time. Yeah, because they're like hungry for film. Whereas here, because we're all working all the time, sometimes it's actually harder to get people to work on your uh, on your on your project. That's on your a labor passion of love. project. Yeah. Yes, uh, which is why during the Save BC Film, the time of the whole like hashtag Save BC Film campaign, we had so many independent features that came out during that time because yeah. you know they weren't working, and it shouldn't be that way. Like I just don't feel it should. This is me expressing my point of view, but like I feel like when our service side is as busy, then we should like our funders, our our festivals, our media, like everybody should be putting the same energy and love and funds into mm-hmm. and prioritizing the passion projects. Mm-hmm. I know it's not that way. Mm-hmm. It's just not that way. But. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I have a community of people who agree with me because my whole thing is I'm happy to work and fill my pocket and then I need to fill my creative soul. Like yes. I need to like fill my creative pocket. So uh, we funded uh, Sweet Release, for example. So my friend and I both actually worked on a movie of the week. Uh, and magically, we were on the same movie of the week. And uh, she's, uh, well, it's Taylor Hastings, and she also produced Sweet Release, and she's one of the actors in it. She and is a remarkable actress. I what The name of that film that, that she made about the Ride the, Home, uh, the ride home which mm-hmm. is about uh, the aftermath of uh, an abortion, mm-hmm. was just... What an incredible, mm-hmm. an incredible short film. So mm-hmm. she's another exciting voice oh, for yeah. sure. So you were working on the same uh, yeah, MOW? We, we were working on the same yeah. MOW. So we were filling our pocket, our financial pocket. And we, she, I can't remember how it came out, but basically we were like, let's put some of the money from this financial pocket, pocketing aside and then shoot our own short, yeah. you know? And it was, uh, it was so cool to have, and, and a bunch of the people who came on, we actually met through that MOW who also wanted to fill their creative pocket. Wow. Yeah. That, so it was pretty cool. That's terrific. Yeah. Okay. So I, as I promised, we're going to talk about Gary Harvey. <laughs> Gary Harvey is, a uh, just a, an icon, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the local industry. But I saw even in your bio that he is your mentor. Yes. You know, so tell me a little bit about the impact that uh, Gary's had on, on your career and, uh, and feeding your creative soul. Oh, my God. Because I know you're, you're flying off to Toronto soon to work yes. on an unnamed project with Mr. Gary Harvey. Yes. Uh, I... I feel like words escape me and how much this man has helped my, me in my career. Yeah. Uh, I think we made it official that he's my mentor, I think, about two and a half years ago. Yeah. And the part of the reason why was because he'd been we'd been meeting up over the years a couple times a year. 
And then he had offered to help me out through things. And so I sent him some stuff to look over and then he gave me notes. And then we met up and he said, if you want to be a director, you have to direct. And I went, okay. So six months later, I wrote him and I said, I have a rough cut. Will you look at it? And he went, I've given that advice to so many people and they haven't gone out and directed. And so that, I think, kind of caught his attention. And then I directed a couple more times. And uh, what Gary has been doing with me is he'll take me through the process from pre-production all the way through to post. Yeah. And he's training me on his process. Yeah. He's basically doing the thing that I think he wished someone would do for him with regards to directing. Yeah. And it's weird because in film, there's the camera training, there's the TAD, the the first aid or AD in training. There's, there's a lot of trainee positions, but there isn't one for directors. Mm. And I know, I'm pretty sure Gary's been trying to get that going for a long time. Um, and there was a program where, and it wasn't through Gary, but it was, um, I think it was through Dino Dina, where, where you would uh, follow a director through three episodes, and then you would direct the fourth. I and think Namisha Mukherjee did yeah. that, right? And so, uh, yeah, and so did um, uh, Heather, and th- there were a few. And, and so that gets you your first credit. Yeah. And production is fine, because the mentor director then takes a back seat and is there in case anything goes wrong in that fourth episode on yeah. set. Uh, and that's really what we're looking for is those is those vital credits, right? Yeah, because otherwise, how do you get into, like, onto rosters? How do you, yeah. you know, because like, I, I think I was really shocked to hear that the DGC of BC, they're, they have a very, like, I thought there were hundreds and hundreds of directors that are members of this organization. It's not as many as I thought. And I, I heard recently as well that, you know, that the bulk of the productions that are coming up to shoot here don't employ the our homegrown directors, you know? And so, like, there's this opportunity to really grow the talent pool, mm-hmm. you know, and to get them onto these shows. So it's exciting to hear that, that you know, Gary is is mentoring you and what a yeah. lovely human. Yeah. So yeah, he and he's taking it into his own hands. He's basically like this training program doesn't exist, so I'm going to do it with you and and yeah, so he's training me on how to block shoot two wow. episodes for uh TV. And I cuz I haven't done that and yeah. so it's going to be so great. And he allows me into his process. Yeah. And sometimes I uh I give him little shot lists that I've made and then he tells me he, he gives me thought experiments like, okay, well, now you're down a camera because they couldn't find the lens or whatever. So now rejig it as if you're on set. And then I implement those those skills that I'm learning when I'm writing my own sets. And it's it's been amazing. I don't I don't know. He's just so great. Wow. <laughs> the University of Gary Harvey. You'll be like the first the first graduate. Yeah. So as we near the end of this of this episode, um, I want to talk about your cats. Oh yes, because uh, so one of the one of the the wonderful things that uh, women in film does for its Spotlight Award winners is that you are gifted with the opportunity to shoot with the wonderful Wendy D. Uh, Wendy D. Uh, shot the artwork for our podcast, and when I won an award a few years ago, she shot me with my my uh, grandmother's typewriter. And so they one of the things that Wendy says is that you should bring something to the shoot that is meaningful for you, and so. Um, you you brought your I brought my two cats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they I, What are their names? You haven't named oh them yet. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, uh I wanted to pre-name them from their their 
photo and my husband I love him so much he was like no we're gonna have them for a few days we're gonna get we're gonna get to know them and then we'll name them mm-hmm. so their names are Hunter is the boy cat he's black and white mm-hmm. and Ducky who's the Siamese and the reason why is because Ducky waddles like a duck and because she <laughs> waddles Hunter always hunts her and it just that's so anyway those are my two cats yeah and they you had talked at the beginning about um your cats being a part of your mental health that's right so one of the things ducky waits wakes me up these days uh sometimes really early and i'm i'm a little bit like come on i don't have to get up right now but she lies on my chest and she purrs Mm. and what that allows is even if i'm feeling anxious and that restrictive I just focus, it's almost like mindfulness meditation. I focus on her purring and the vibrations help expand my chest and I can breathe. And that's how I start my days. I'm going to miss them when I'm in Toronto. I'm going to miss them so, so, so much. And Hunter, sometimes there's no replacement for that, too. I know. Oh, man. I'm sorry. I know. And sometimes I'll be typing and Hunter will want to play. And uh, if I'm in the middle of something really important, I won't. But he reminds me to get off the computer for because sometimes when I'm typing and I'm beating my, my head against the wall, I forget that the best thing for me to do is actually walk away for a few minutes. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I don't know. I don't know if he senses something, but I'll feel him and he just reaches for me on my leg and he pats my leg and then we play for 10 or 15 minutes. And then when I come back, I usually have the answer that I was looking for while I was lost. So they both. Yeah, they are our overlords. They know us (laughs) in a lot of ways and what we need better than we know ourselves. And for me, part of my my healing, you know, after after going through what I went through uh, last year is um, uh, because I I still I still occasionally will feel a panic attack or an anxiety attack coming on. And if I'm at home, I, I go to the cats and they help me just stay in the moment mm-hmm. in a way like I because I'm just like they because they, they're so focused on like the present there's no past there's no future it's just present mm-hmm. you know and they're also both such snuggly little beings Wade Wilson and Vanessa are their names <laughs> named after Deadpool characters uh and yeah they really they they bring me back to the to the moment so mm-hmm. I I get them lots of extra treats and toys and mm-hmm. whatever they want because they are they're keeping me here. They're part of my mental health uh, regimen. Um, I, I generally love to end with some time travel. Oh, yeah. So let's, uh, what is it? I didn't ask you. What is your time travel uh, device of choice? Is it the TARDIS? Is it the DeLorean? Is it the like the H.G. Wells time machine? Are we in the um, uh, Bill and Ted's like phone booth? <laughs> like, what do you want? The DeLorean. The DeLorean. Yes. This is the season of DeLorean. People oh, are really? really? Yeah, a lot oh. of, no one's choosing the TARDIS. No. Come on. I, you know, that's a cool one. No, but the DeLorean. That was, honestly, those movies, ugh, I love them. I, I haven't rewatched them lately, but. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and they're they're worth a rewatch, especially one and two. <laughs> Don't like to talk about three. Um, okay, so we're in the DeLorean. Yes. We're pulling up to. I don't know. Maybe like what? What's a, what w- would be a good time in your life like that where you would benefit from some advice from a future version of yourself? Oh, you know. So if you could go back yeah. in time to whatever this particular mo- moment is that you get to choose, yeah. You know, uh, what kind of advice would you give yourself, or oh. or would you give yourself any advice at all? Because that is a choice. Yeah, I. Okay, I would disguise myself. I wouldn't be like I'm you from the future, but I would 
probably disguise myself or something. And Wouldn't and, you recognize or, yourself, though? Well, maybe I would write myself a letter. How old oh, are you? Probably 18. Okay. 18, 19. Um, I, yeah, I would probably write myself a letter, and I would be like... Um, Here's here's a few things that I wish I'd learned early. Yeah. Uh, number one is you really only have control over yourself, mm-hmm. and living in integrity is the number one thing. And you know that it's inner honesty. Only you know how you are behaving and what your intentions are. So if you want to go to bed and feel good about yourself, you live every life, every day of your life in integrity. Yeah. Right? And then the other one is you have no control over the outcome. So get used to enjoying the process. Oh, I love that. <laughs> fuck yeah. So I'm going to try, because I'm in the car with you. I'm going to fuck yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, that was a letter. Oh. I'll, I'll put a post-it note on there. Fuck yeah. You know what, though? Footnote. We'll get back in the DeLorean. Yeah. We'll put on our like our sunglasses, yeah. and we'll both shout, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, this was ridiculous fun. Oh, yay. Thank you so much. Michelle Mishneel, where can our listeners find you on the social media? Oh, no. Uh, well, okay, so my website is michellenneal.com. Oh, I have no idea what my social media handles are because sometimes <laughs> sometimes Michelle is taken or Mish is taken, and so sometimes I'm Michelle Neal and sometimes I'm Mish Neal. And I've even th- I think you have a Mishy Neal in there I as think well. So. Okay, yeah. well, um, I've never met had somebody in this chair who had such a hard time answering that question. So what I'm going to do? Just make sure you check the footnotes for this for this episode, and you will find all the ways to connect with Mish on on the social media. And to you, our listeners, I say thank you as well for spending this time with us today. Please like and subscribe. Leave us a review if you are so inclined. They help us find new listeners. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at yvrscreenscene. The YVR Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Woo. Sabrina Firminger. Woo. <laughs> Woo-hoo. And it's produced and edited by Simon Firminger. We give special thanks to Tyson Braddock and Paul Firminger. We're family business for technical support. And to Dane Devalet for the original music. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut!